Hello captives and captive friends and welcome to episode 78 of the Global Captive Podcast supported by legacy specialists R&Q and hosted by me Richard Kutcher. Before we get into the episode with plenty of brilliant guests as usual it's probably a good idea to tell listeners if you hadn't already seen then on the 1st of December we launched Captive Intelligence your new home for captive news, analysis, insights and thought leadership. GCP will be continuing in its current form, available on all podcast platforms, but you can also now find our full back catalogue, associated articles and our friends of the podcast pages on www.captiveintelligence.io. There is a link in the episode show notes and there's a lot of great content from myself, Luke and our partners already on the platform. The globalcaptivepodcast.com website will be closing down some point in the new year, so please do start visiting and get used to visiting captiveintelligence.io. But let's get on now with the episode because we have a lot to pack in. In the second half of the episode, we will hear from senior reporter Luke Harrison, his pod report from the Cayman Captive Forum with several experts from the island, while we also have a short interview with Steve Kinian, who is now Oklahoma's new captive director, having left Delaware in September. Articles on both of those topics are already on captiveintelligence.io. But I'm delighted to say our guest co-host is the annual return of Ellen Charnley, president of Marsh Captive Solutions. Ellen, welcome back onto the pod. Thank you very much, Richard. It's lovely to be back. Yeah, good to speak to you. So um, let's get straight into it then, because there's been, as we know, huge growth uh, in the past couple of years in captive formations and utilization and your own statistics at Marsh, of course, back that up. I think it's 200 new captives set up by Marsh in 2020 and 2021. And I'm just interested to know kind of what's your take on whether we've hit the kind of peak of this huge captive activity? And have you seen any signs at all Probably you don't want to see any signs, but have you seen any signs at all of, of things cooling down? Uh, yeah, we have uh, not seen any signs of it cooling down yet. Um, and I ran the uh, the very draft sort of numbers year to date so far, and we're on track for another record year. So I would say, wow. uh, don't hold me to it. Um, it's hot <laughs> off the press, and I will always give you the heads up, of course, Richard, but hot off the press, I'm predicting another record year this year. But I could be wrong, of course, so we could uh, fall off the wagon for the next uh, couple of months, but I doubt it. I suspect we're going to have another record year this year as well. So definitely not cooling off that's for sure yeah well it just continues to make news doesn't it captives and i think it's almost uh, a cycle right that peers of risk managers or companies see more of their their fellow companies or risk managers setting up captives and and begin to get curious if they're not already curious or maybe convinced to take the plunge and in my role at at airmic that i carry out i constantly still have members of all uh, companies of all sizes coming to me in the uk market asking me for advice of who to speak to or what to do next if they're they're thinking about doing it so i I still see plenty of stuff coming down the pipeline the chart that you often use at at marsh uh, which is i think is a really good one it kind of shows the gross written premium in your captive book alongside the marsh insurance market pricing index um, and that that kind of did show some softening or, or at least stabilizing somewhat in the commercial market in 2021. But the captive premium was still increasing to, to $68 billion uh, in that year. I know the 2022 statistics, as you said, won't be out for some time. But in terms of growth in captive premium, I guess if that number of captives is, is still going up, you expect to see that number go up again across your book, whatever's going on in the commercial market. Yes, for sure. And there's, there's that, that would be my assumption. Um, again, um, 
don't hold me to it, but that would be a logical assumption for sure. And, you know, we normally see a little bit of a lag, of course, with what the commercial market is doing. Um, I would say a couple of points. You know, captures are formed regardless of necessarily what the commercial market is doing. Um, in times when the, the commercial market is challenging, it tends to encourage more companies to form captures, as we know, and we've talked about for, for plenty of sessions before. So we've continued to see uh, more, more captures being formed uh, for quite some time in this challenging market space. Um, and even when the commercial market starts to go into more of a softening phase, We'll still see captures being formed for for other reasons, um, for sure. As that graph starts to drop off, uh, it's important to note that there's still double digits of of growth happening. Um, And so it's still pretty challenging across the globe. And some of those lines um, um, in some parts of the world are still incredibly challenging for our clients. So I don't see anything materially different happening in the captive market, which is great news for for my world and and for the captive industry at, at the moment. And it continues to be Good news for, for captive owners and for, for prospective captive owners who, who look for, for that, um, for a captive to help them solve for their risk financing needs. So I think it's definitely a good thing to, to keep in mind um, that we're going to probably likely see growth for, for some time to come. Yeah, certainly good news for my world as well. Uh, <laughs> in, in what I do, that people want to keep talking about captives and promoting captives and, and setting up new captives. But in the last two years of the pods, we've we've had a, quite a few of your colleagues from different parts of the world on. Uh, Ronnie in Dubai earlier this year, Stuart in Singapore last year, spring to mind uh, as kind of from emerging market regions in regards to captives and both reporting really strong captive growth relative to the numbers that are already there. Obviously, North America has almost always driven the bulk of captive growth globally. But are you still seeing in that in those new captive numbers you've been putting on two hundred in the two years previous to this one? You, you say hopefully another record year. Do you still see that significant growth coming from all kind of regions for captive formations? Yes, um, and that's been a real delight to see uh, in the position that I that I said as, the, as a global leader. So um, definitely seeing it across the globe. Um, and I'd see that not only in sort of the client uh, the client activity, but also in in our employee headcount activity. So we've we've added headcount and new employees across the globe, which has been a delight um, as well. So so definitely across the globe, I would say it's it's really a speed to market that the clients uh, have wanted to see. So we've seen real growth in those locations where domiciles can be nimble, and that's not just the regulator, I mean, but but the actual infrastructure of the domicile itself. So where where captives can be can be formed quickly and nimbly those are the real winners um, for growth so that's where we're seeing high high growth not only in numbers of formations but clients being able to to add add new lines of business and add new, add new premiums to their captives so so that's where we're seeing seeing a lot of growth um, and likely to continue to see see growth so the captive landscape report which you did you produced in, this, in a webinar this year showed third party business was the most common of the non-traditional lines of business going into the, the 200 new captives set up by Marsh in 2020 and 2021. I'm interested though why you think this is, why this has been a significant motivation for new captive owners, because often when we've talked about third-party risk in the past, we've kind of talked about it in the context of you know existing captives, sophisticated captives, adding that as a new business venture or, or new area they're confident to go into. But it seems like it's also 
not not a huge driver because it was 10%, but a, a significant driver of new business. Yes, and you're right. It is also a driver of uh, for, for additional new lines for existing captives, um, for sure. But did move the needle on, on new formations too. And I would say um, where that happened was perhaps in more in our cell, our, our new cell formations. Um, you may have also noticed in that in that report or that that webinar that we highlighted that relative to our normal um, population, we had an increase in cell formations. And uh, within that cell formations, there was a, uh, a preponderance of MGAs and MGU, MGU formations. So they would typically write a portion of their book. And a lot of that would be third-party business, of course. So that is a, a new, sort of newer growth area for us uh, and for MGAs and MGUs in particular. So um, they would be writing the, the cream of the crop for, the, for their business and, and taking risk themselves and putting a portion of that risk into their own uh, cell captive. Um, and very often that's a growth area for, for themselves and a growth area for, for, for captives in, generally, so in general. So that's, that's often a, a source of third-party business. Yeah, I've said to Mike before, actually, Mike Sarikio, that I'm keen to do something on a bit more <laughs> yeah. detail on MGAs and MGUs uh, using captives. It's, it's a, a bit out of my wheelhouse, I'd say, in terms of that type of captive usage. I'm very much used to that kind of traditional single parent use of captives. But as you say, it's such a growth area and an interesting one uh, where we see more kind of convergence with the commercial market and captive structures being used in different ways. It's definitely one that we at GCP should be looking into more. I would highly recommend that you um, add uh, InsureTech Connect onto your uh, calendar next year and come to yeah. Las Vegas because it's extremely busy for for captive meetings. And uh, yeah, it's M- Mike is morning, noon, and night um, very busy at that meet at that location. Yeah, no, it's definitely one I'd like to get to. I've got a few reasons to come to Vegas. One, to see you, Ellen, uh, but also to attend that conference. I've got some good friends that live there too. So uh, let's see if I can make it happen in in 2023. Okay, well, we will be back with Ellen in the second half, but let's now hear from Steve Kinion, formerly Delaware's captive regulator of 13 years, who is now in charge of the captive division in Oklahoma. He spoke to our senior reporter, Luke Harrison, at the European Captive Forum in Luxembourg in November. I'm an Oklahoma native. Right, so I'm, I'm from a small town in Oklahoma known as Cleveland, Oklahoma, in what's known as Pawnee County. That's just west of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And my first job as an insurance regulator was at the Oklahoma Insurance Department. And that's where I, that's where I started my life in insurance regulation. Now it seems like I'm coming full circle back to Oklahoma, even though I'm not at the end of my career in any means. I mean, I'm, going, I'm going back to a very familiar environment, an environment that I know. So that's what helped attract me to Oklahoma, and that's one of my connections to the state. Commissioner Mulready is the insurance commissioner in Oklahoma, and he is a commissioner who is a very, what I call, an entrepreneurial thinker, and has, wants to make the Oklahoma Insurance Department the best insurance department it can be, if not the best insurance department in the United States. There are many aspects to that, with one of those aspects, or those facets, being captive insurance. So that's what attracted me to Oklahoma about having the head of the agency, the head of the Oklahoma Insurance Department, being very excited about captive insurance companies. The Commissioner Mulready called me and he said, Steve, um, I'm so glad to see you at the conference, the I- Captive and IBT conference. As, uh, as you may know, Donald has just announced his departure and I need to fill his void with someone who's, who's qualified and well-known in the captive insurance industry. And, I mean, we have a lot of shortages in this world right now with supply chain issues, but 
I can tell you in the United States, there is a severe shortage of experienced captive insurance regulators. Yeah. Commissioner Mulready said, Steve, you have, a, you have a past connection to Oklahoma. You're a native of the state. Would you consider coming and helping and being part of the, the captive success? And I said, yes, I would. I'm, I work on a contract basis. The, the contract is with my law firm. Law firm is Zach Stamp Limited in Springfield, Illinois. That's just where I live now. And my focus is insurance regulatory practice and captive insurance law. And I have clients in that area. So I'm not an Oklahoma State employee. And again, the law firm is the, 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 the contracting party with the state of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Insurance Department. I'm, I'm the point person for the law firm under that contract. It's, it's a one-year contract subject to another one-year renewal, so two years maximum. Uh, one of the nice flexible aspects of that, of that law, Luke, and this is very important to me because it, it, it's one of the reasons I accepted the position in Oklahoma, is I can continue my law practice while yeah. also being Oklahoma's captive director. Uh, I did the same in Delaware very successfully, and I can do the same in, in, uh, in Oklahoma. And what it really helps is, um, again, I, I need that flexibility. I just left Delaware. I had gone back into the full-time practice of law, and I gained new clients, and I told the commissioner, I said, you know, I just can't tell these clients, sorry, I, I can't, you know. You're new, I'm, I'm right, right in the middle of your project, and now suddenly I have to stop. No, but, but he was very understanding on that. Captive insurance is not, it's not a retail business. Well, nobody walks in from the street to the insurance department and says, I want to form a captive insurance company. We're here at the European Captive Forum in Luxembourg. This is where you see the retail aspect. You know, it's at captive insurance conferences where you meet people and you discuss captive projects and you know, applications, things like that. Otherwise, it's all done via telephone or mostly by email these days, or, or video calls, whether it's Zoom or Teams or whatever, you know, any other form of video call. So it is not a, a retail business in respect to where the industry wants to see you in the office, the Oklahoma Insurance Department office or the Delaware Insurance Department office, because they don't visit. Yeah. If, if, if you know, a captive management firm or captive owners can save money mm. by just calling you or sending an email or, or, or <laughs> Zoom, you'll do it. <laughs> I think that Oklahoma has a tremendous amount of room to grow. The applications I've seen uh, since you know, just being there a week have been uh, mostly for Oklahoma-based businesses. But you know, Oklahoma is an energy state. Oil and gas is what ma helped make Oklahoma what it is today. And one of the areas of focus are those what I call carbon industries who may have a difficult time obtaining insurance coverage in the commercial market. Well, they're welcome in Oklahoma because Oklahoma has a long history with that industry. Any business that qualifies to make it form a captive under Oklahoma law is welcome. I'm reviewing Oklahoma's captive insurance code now. And I, and I asked Commissioner Mulready before I accepted this position, I asked, well, how much, how much authority will you allow me to you know, make suggestions or make recommendations for legislation? And he said, full authority. Now, that doesn't mean, Luke, that Whatever I say is, you know, determines, yes, we're going to make that change just because Steve said. But, I mean, he, he wants to hear how Oklahoma's captive laws can be better. Paul, when captives are exploring a potential legacy transaction, whether fully offloading a captive or transferring a portfolio of business, is it important for them to know the partner they work with has a full suite of vehicles ready to support their chosen strategy? Yes, that's right, Richard. At R&Q, as a result of completing legacy transactions at the major captive domiciles over the last 13 years, we've built up a compelling portfolio of liability consolidation vehicles. We have companies in Bermuda, Cayman, 
Guernsey, Isle of Man, Vermont, and for EU business in Malta. This allows us to seamlessly assume legacy liabilities onto our platform without facing endless cross-border transactions. We also have two A-minus rated carriers, one in the US, admitted across all states, and the other in Malta, with all non-life licenses and freedom of services across the EU and a branch in the UK. This allows us to offer widespread solutions as replacement capacity, or as a retrospective front, or as a well-rated reinsurer to gain capital efficiency. Thank you, Paul. Well, if you want more information on RQ, then visit their Friend of the Podcast page on the globalcaptivepodcast.com website, or follow the links in the episode show notes. We will be back with Ellen Charnley for the second half of our interview. But now let's go to Cayman, where Luke was recently at the Captive Forum, the first in person since 2019. Luke spoke with Erin Brosnian at Kensington Management Group, Adrian Lynch of Artex, Robert Ledbetter of USA Risk and Colin Robinson at SRS about the conference and the hot topics in the jurisdiction right now. Uh, I think with the market conditions in the U.S., uh, catastrophic losses and, and rates increasing in the U.S., I think captive owners are looking for information on, you know, adding coverages to their captives as well as increasing limits and lines of coverage. Um, I think we'll hear some discussion about cyber, obviously. That's always a hot topic. Um, medical stop loss, ESG, all topics that are, are very relevant in today's market. Well, I, I think fundamentally the first thing is really just we wanted the forum to be um, not heavy on content this year. We really wanted to create a lot of an opportunity for people just to re-engage. And, you know, physically to have everybody back on the island, it's just been wonderful. Even walking up the stairs here with you, you can see how many people were meeting. They're back on the island. And it's just wonderful to re-engage with those partners of industry. Um, but the main themes are always around, uh, you know, uh, for the healthcare clients, there's uh, there's safety, there's risk management. Um, there's always uh, the tax element. There's always the governance element, the role of the director, the role of the auditor, the role of the risk manager, the role of patient safety, uh, the third party under writers what you're seeing as well is an awful lot of uh, capacities coming to these you know it's a great sign for Cayman as an evolution of the of the market that we see so many underwriters now coming to Cayman um, I think you know just the fact that we have it back in person is a great thing it's been a few years um, since we've been able to get everyone down here to Cayman um, as most people know Cayman's known kind of as a healthcare domicile that's sort of one of our specialties mm-hmm. um, definitely a lot of the topics over the next couple of days are going to be healthcare related um, you know, that being said, there is a, you know, a wide array of, 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 um, of different topics. There's a lot of educational, you know, sort of the Captive 101, the Tax 101, the Actuary 101. So mm-hmm. for people that are sort of new to the industry or new to captives, it's a great opportunity for them to learn sort of from the grassroots up. The topics, you know, they're, they're broad every year. There, there obviously is a focus on healthcare. Um, when we look at Cayman's book of business, there's somewhere about 30, 30, 35 to 33% of that is in within the healthcare space. So we do try to tailor quite a bit of the uh, educational sessions to that specific sector. But of course, that's a very broad sector. You're talking about things related to uh, captives dealing with claims. Uh, but you know we're, we're focusing a lot on uh, you know care and risk issues that the clients have onshore as well. So they're they're coming obviously for education on the captive side, but you know they're also around their peers, kind of some of the best of the, the their possible peers uh, in the industry that come down here. So it's a good time to share. Where do you see some of the key growth areas for captives in Cayman? Because I know in the in the healthcare space there's been a lot of mergers and acquisitions of recent times. So where do you kind of see that growth coming from? 
Yeah, so that that's a that's very factual. There has been a lot of merger activity in the U.S. Uh, healthcare space, which then does translate into similar mergers down here on the captive front. Um, so I think a, again, the opportunities are in all different lines of coverage: um, cyber, um, you know, uh, companies just looking to to expand their their current um, captive profile as well as increasing retentions. There's always opportunities for for new lines of coverage to assist companies with their risk management profile. So, so I think it, this began really with the Obamacare and the Healthcare Act in the U.S., where you had a number of smaller community hospitals that were really struggling for cash flow and really struggling, um, you know, in sustainability. A number. Of them you know some of the larger systems might have 180 days cash on hand some of the smaller systems were, were really uh, living hand to mouth so what ended up happening was a lot of the larger systems picked up some of these smaller systems and then ultimately if the if they had captives you end up consolidating the captives so what you ended up seeing was perhaps a net net reduction in the overall captive statistics but we were finding we were ending up with much larger hospital systems with much more complex programs uh, a lot of businesses are coming to us where they're looking for expanded coverages around customer relationships uh, contractors that they work closely with suppliers distributors and trying to pull of those relationships into their insurance program or at a minimum extend coverage to them to you know further strengthen the relationship and perhaps maybe give them access to some of their own insurance infrastructure. And uh, we're seeing a, a lot of that as well. And uh, and then obviously the niche and boutique creative coverages that we're being asked about, we continue to have those conversations. See, over the last probably four years, there's been you know a fair amount of activity on that side. Where, and what you see is you see two healthcare systems come together. They each have a Cayman captive perhaps. They don't need two captives, so the captives merge as well. Um, so for probably the last two or three years, we have seen a lot of consolidation on the captive side, um, which means potentially less captives. Uh, some people were concerned about that, but from my perspective, what you end up having is rather than have two smaller captives, you have one bigger, stronger captive. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the things that's kind of come from all of this is, you know, you now have captives that are bigger, stronger, more complex. Um, and I think that's a good thing for the. We're seeing a lot of activity on the B3 side. So that's typically more sort of third party risk, more sort of, I would say, entrepreneurial type captives. Mm. So this is maybe um, an agency, a broker, uh, a MOU that's deciding to take some of the risk that they write. Um, so we're definitely seeing more of that. So certainly consolidation has been a key driver of the decline in numbers of captives that we've had in Cayman. So going back to, you know, 10 years ago, we would have had numbers in the 700s. Um, that isn't a different story from any other jurisdiction. Uh, if I look at a Bermuda or another offshore uh, domicile, there's so much consolidation specifically in the healthcare space. And so that's meant for us, we're in the, you know, the mid 600s when it comes to numbers of captives. Uh, that also means that those captives are consolidated themselves. So just within our office alone, we have a lot of instances where uh, we will have two existing clients that you know now they're the owners of two captives or three captives. Mm. So they're looking to actually merge those entities. So it doesn't mean that kind of the experience goes away. Uh, what that means really is that those captives are becoming larger, they're becoming more sophisticated. Because they're larger and more sophisticated, they're able to add more lines of coverage. So certainly, one of the things that we've seen in the last year, two years, three years, is a growth in the lines of coverages offered. offered. Mm. So stop loss is something that's really been yeah. a growing field and something that a lot of clients, if they haven't already implemented it, 
are looking to implement it at some point yeah. or just looking seriously at it as something where they can say there's some savings they can get yeah. with yeah. their entity. Healthcare isn't dead, so that still is yeah. a growth. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, th I think if you're looking at just new formations, you're looking at formations that will be in that space, but you're getting into a lot more sophisticated spaces. Uh, life reinsurance always seems to be something in the last mm. couple of years that's been very popular and growing uh, in, in the offshore world. Uh, there's certainly a lot more group captives that that have been formed and, and will continue to be formed as uh, you have more groups looking at and seeing captive insurance as a fit for whether it's their organization or several organizations that come together in a group captive space. But I think overall what you're seeing is sophistication. Uh, you're seeing not just the plain vanilla uh, owner single uh, parent owner captive uh, you're seeing a lot more sophistication when it comes to whether it's through ownership or whether it's lines of coverages and I, I don't see that slowing down for for KMN as a jurisdiction at all obviously you know everyone's been discussing the the hard market which has encapsulated the kind of the traditional market over the past couple of years uh, how has the hard market kind of affected the captives in Cayman so I think it's it's twofold I think it's bringing um, increased interest to the captive model, right? Folks that maybe weren't looking at it in the past are now reconsidering their options um, in the captive space. So I think it's 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 driving more interest in, in the topic, um, as well as those who are already in the space are, I guess, A, thankful that they are, um, and B, I think, looking at exploring additional ways to, you know, to assist their businesses by adding coverages and, and, and increasing limits and whatnot. The uh, market remains hard and the market's volatile from an investment perspective, so I'd say the returns haven't been great, uh, which means when, when, the, when, the, when the investment returns are not great, there's a greater focus on the underwriting quality and some of the businesses that they're writing. But we have jurisdictionally a lot of very well capitalized captives that are sitting on a lot of surplus. They're in good standing with the regulator and they really now, as an underwriter of choice, have some options as to what they do. And uh, it's a very, very interesting time for the future. One of my other favorite themes, and it's something uh, you and the team touched upon uh, quite a bit in the Captive Landscape webinar, is just the sheer scale now of, of captives and, and the captive sector. I think you referenced there that the Marsh Book of Business is now $68 billion in, in annual premium, and that's bigger than the largest commercial insurance carrier in the world, Allianz. So, you know, it's huge numbers. I think a friend of mine, uh, Paul Phillips at EY, often now says that captives aren't the alternative market well they are a market you know they're not the alternative market they're one of the the markets that people should be looking at in, in, in more more seriously obviously these numbers are inflating due to large captives getting larger in addition to all the new captives that being established as we've discussed but how do you think the the number and size of some of these captives is ultimately going to be impacting the, the broader insurance market and is there a chance for some of these very large captives to have more interaction with each other through pooling or aggregation or, or more direct interaction with the reinsurance market? Yeah, I mean, the, it's a big question there. And I think there's um, probably, um, I'll answer the second one first. The first one, I'm not sure I, I know the answer to. Um, the, the second one, yeah. uh, the second one, I think, yes, I, I mean, I think there's, there's, it's possible. And um, we look very carefully at the, at the second one, which is around whether there's, um, whether there's an opportunity for more interaction between between captive owners for, for aggregation and pooling. And we're actively looking at that and we have done some of that in the past. 
we'd love to do more of it. Um, and we have lots of conversations and lots of activity around that. Um, but caveat that by saying it's not easy to do. And it's not easy yeah. to do because um, it's a lot of a lot of times the idea is is quite attractive. But the reality is trying to get captive owners to ultimately share risk in a smaller a smaller pooled environment is quite tricky. And so what drive what tends to drive the formation of a pool tends to be a true need of like-minded companies um, with, the, with the same need and the same desire. Now we're in an environment right now where that can be that can be actually achieved. So we're seeing a lot of activity and conversations around potential pooling and aggregation solutions that we're actually having right now. We've actually hired um, um, a pooling and aggregation leader um, as part of my team, um, which you may have, uh, have come across. So I'd encourage you to, to meet, meet him if you haven't already, um, Richard, because, because that's exactly what, what he's been hired to do. Um, and so watch this space because we're, we're anticipating doing a lot more in this space um, because like you, we are anticipating that we in, in this market space that we're in right now, we will be forming a lot more of these pools and aggregation solutions for our clients. Now, whether that ultimately or, or just the captive activity generally will have an impact on the commercial market, I I don't know. Um, I, I would probably say there's, of course, there's the space for, for both. Whether it influences the kinds of products and solutions that the commercial market offers, maybe. I think there's um, there's going to be innovation uh, on both sides, probably, um, and I think that's a good thing. There's probably space for both sides, uh, and clients are always looking for for both sides to to be innovative uh, and provide new solutions to ultimately allow them to to do what they need to do in the insurance market. So um, a little bit of a, a cop out of an answer, but um, I think uh, I, <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm not really sure I, that I know the answer. Yeah, no, of course. And I, I'm just fascinated that this, this, this interview, Alan's already thrown up lots of good follow-up articles and ideas. Uh, <laughs> and, and the fact that you've got a, a Pauline aggregation expert on board is another one I'll be tapping up. So lastly, then, and I think this is a bit of a, a bit of a passion of yours, Alan, is, is the ESG topic. And we've discussed ESG with, with a few other people on the podcast before, particularly from the kind of investment management side. Obviously, Guernsey have, have, have rolled out their ESG framework over the last year or so, which has, has got some traction. And it feels like the insurance market, that the wider insurance market market that is has been talking about uh, ESG for some time and 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 debating what the relevance are of these trends and the related regulatory developments to the commercial market and i believe you believe Ellen, that that captives do have a key role to play in in this area in supporting their parent organizations in, in a variety of ways so can can you explain to me kind of what your thinking is around the role that captives uh, may have regarding ESG yeah, sure. And yeah, thanks for that question. It is a, it is definitely a pet subject of, of ours and, a, and a, definitely a passion of mine. And I predicted this uh, quite some time ago. Uh, in fact, just, just recently, I was over in San Francisco on a, a Marsh client panel talking about this very subject with our, with our climate sustainability leader, Amy Barnes. Look, I, I think captives have a huge role to play in, in ESG and all things sustainability. And I think it's only going to grow into the future in all areas, E, S, and G. And I think, you know, maybe if you look at the, the G first, which is, is perhaps the, the furthest one that people perhaps think about, but simply the very nature of a captive um, is all around governance and formally financing risk that the organization decides to, to fund um, outside of the balance sheet in a formalized entity. 
and with, with a with a with a governing board with control mechanisms, you know, ans- answerable to an insurance regulator, a captive insurance regulator, is is true governance to put money aside uh, to pay claims. What better way to, to demonstrate governance? We've seen captives demonstrate the S um, with with employee benefit programs, with board diversification, and we're only just starting to uh, unlock the possibilities for the for the environmental role that that captives can play, helping organisations um, fill gaps on environmental policies, which we know are going to come and going to be, be broadened with potential issues that. And the companies are going to face when carriers start to make it slightly more difficult potentially for for them with coverage gaps and squeezing capacity. So captives are going to continue to play a role when it comes to ESG. And when the market changes and the hard market cycle starts to uh, move into a softer market cycle, ESG is going to be there um, more and more. And I urge clients to think about um, those qualitative reasons that perhaps are harder to quantify of why a captive can provide value. It's not just in those quantitative values that captives come to the to forefront. Um, it's also in those qualitative values, and ESG is the perfect reason why a captive can provide value. Um, I could talk all day about the subject, Richard, but I know we're running, we're running out of time. But it's truly, it's truly a game changer, in my opinion. What, what kind of when, when you are talking to clients about this, Ellen? Because it, it's such. I know every case is different, isn't it? And and ESG means something can mean something completely different to every company. So it's hard probably to give a specific response to this question. But when you are having conversations with with existing captives, captive owners. You know, through what lens is that ESG conversation starting or, or what's the kind of the motivator, do you think, on, on that, well, how the captive can play a role? Yeah, I think it first of all depends on what problems the, the, the company is trying to, to face and what industry they're in. So it really is very specific. Um, so we, we really take a, a fresh look and a blank sheet of paper and then think about how the captive can provide value. But it's it's about having that that strategic conversation with the client. So looking at all at all aspects, and then also working with our with our um, broader teams. Um, so we, we you know we have conversations um, with all parts of the the, the brokerage teams as well, um, and and we're we're part of that collaborative uh, conversation. So it's not just a captive conversation. It's about coming into the renewal strategy conversation, but also the the um, the other strategic conversations um, on a broader client engagement discussion. Um, so we're, we're part of that central discussion, um, and the captive being a focal point um, for all of the risk discussions. Um, and then the you know it's sometimes educating the client on how that captive can can play that role, and that can be a game changer for some some organisations. Whereas in the past, perhaps. Perhaps the client and the risk manager has has really just seen it as as an add on um, versus being truly at the center of all risk financing, and I, and I think that that mental mindset shift can truly be a game changer for some organisations. Ellen, as always, it's an absolute pleasure to have you onto the Global Captive Podcast. So thanks for coming back on. Thank you very much for having me. Always a pleasure myself. Stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives. Mm-hmm.